You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd podcast. Nerds. As always, I'm with Cap and Alec. Uh, Alex. <laughs> Cap and Alec. Cap and Alex. I can't even speak this afternoon as we record this. Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Put, put the gun away. Put the gun away. Ah. <laughs> Alex. Alex. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry. Um, they're from the Something Good For You podcast yeah, and network. Yes, yes. We got to plug the network. Yes. Mm-hmm. Plug into the network if you haven't already and check out all the Something Good For You stuff. All the nerdy stuff. We got nerdy stuff about Kiss. We got nerdy stuff about movies. It's, you know, it's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> check that link in the description. And um, we are. Uh, where are we at now? We just came out of the. Um, crazy night cycle yes which we you know we discussed was expected to be the big mega comeback album Svengali led with ron nevison who was the hot producer of the era and it did not do at all what they were anticipating so what were they projecting versus what they actually got back they were projecting like a 12 million seller easy and they got a million seller which mm. I mean, a million seller for like most people, and especially now, people would probably be like, you know, whipping their Over shit the out in the pants, you know, out of, out of their <laughs> pants and jerking in the fucking street. And, Look at what I did! But back then, it was kind of like ho hum because you know, bands straight out of the shoot with no reputation whatsoever could come out of nowhere with a mar- marginal song at best. And I'm not going to name any names. Poison and and. and <laughs> You know, songs oh, that, that's going to make Jeff mad. He said he would rather listen to Poison before non-makeup Kiss any day. Jeff. Well, Williams oh, from uh, the band Stop Talking yeah, here yeah. in town. Okay. You, you know, I know. We know we, a million we, Jeffs. Yeah. I mean, I you know what? There are better Poison songs, objectively, than there are a lot of 80s Kiss songs. That Maybe. I, you know, I'm not a Poison fan. I saw them one time open for David Lee Roth, and literally they just blew them off the stage. And they weren't all glammed out like their normal thing mm-hmm. but their songs sound like beer commercials to me they, that's why but that's why it went <laughs> they over write beer song commercials they write beer and then kisses rocking uh montage songs yeah that's why they just that's why they tour with like country acts all the time now and shit yes uh, I, I don't know whatever this isn't a poison podcast this is a kiss nerd podcast <laughs> right. but with, with the podcast drug in. but the, <laughs> but what the point uh i was making was that kiss was kind of an older band at this point anyway right right but that, that you know at this point you would i, I don't know if the term existed then but you know i guess the the term today would be a legacy act yeah yeah and um i think just at this era they would just be called old news 
or well, dinosaur rock. Maybe I don't know. I don't know I mean, even dinosaur rock yet. The the idea of of them being a legacy act is going to play into what we're going to talk about today, which is the smashes, thrashes, and hits compilation. Yes. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, we kind of hopscotched over something that was kind of a big deal, especially in its time, which was the uh, Kiss Exposed home video. It was yeah. not their first long-form home video introduced into the market. The Animalized video was. But the Kiss Exposed video... And it had been delayed several times. So when this thing hit, it it had already been hyped pretty heavily. I don't know if hyped is the right word. It was advertised. Marketed. It was it was already being marketed and advertised long before it came out because it kept getting delayed. I can remember full page ads in the back of like Circus magazine. And Yeah, because it releases near the what beginning or end of the crazy night cycle it was right there in the middle of it i think it was mm-hmm. 87 but this, so we're gonna have to rewind whole, back to 87 here to talk about this yeah but the odd thing is is this entire video is asylum based yeah the, well that's the thing this I, was recorded in the asylum era it, it yeah it doesn't have anything from crazy nights on it um which that's one thing I meant to go back and look and see when this thing was released and why it would not have had at least because it seemed like it came out during that cycle. Mm-hmm. And there's but, not a whole lot of info on the recording and or release of this. Uh, I've just got just a basic ninety seven. I mean eighty seven on the release on the date, but uh, no, it includes the Who Wants to Be Lonely music video along with uh, All Night. But then they pull out the uh, the Rio de Janeiro eighty three. I love it loud. Well, okay. Now wait a minute. Stop. You've got a. This seems just so casual, ho hum to you. Oh, they okay. got makeup clips. Okay. okay, y'all don't so understand should... <laughs> the gravity of well, this. Well, I feel when like this one. Out. Well, this one was already out because it was part of the news footage. The, this this uh, the Rio show was broadcast. Yeah, but it, it this wasn't there wasn't a lot of tape. I mean, this was still during the advent of VHS. Well, if we actually to- really want to do it, let's take a full step back and actually explain what the hell we're even talking about with Kiss Exposed. What is this? It's well, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. a long a long form home video. It was a compilation of videos that they had re- recorded along with live clips from the makeup era, interspersed with these comedic bits. How comedic they are. I was going to say, depends I, on your <laughs> take on what comedic so, means. So, what, uh, were a lot of bands doing this? Because I know, uh, Motley Crue kind of had one too, where yeah, they're Motley just Crue like had their, on the cars yeah, and in the studio and I drinking what and all that. was called, oh, it was called Uncensored. Yeah. 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 This is Kiss so exposed. exposed. So, they're definitely taking a cue from Uncensored, I think. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if, uh, more bands were doing that kind of thing too, like with videos and shit like that. It, it's, I wouldn't be surprised. It's set up. Like there used to be a syndicated television show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and it was hosted mm. by this guy named Robin Leach. Robin Leach, yeah. yeah. And he went into these people, you know, these celebrities' palatial estates for nine hundred million dollars. You can have one of you know, blah, you know, the fabulous life of whoever. Yeah, he did a VH1 show like when I was like a teenager. That was weird. It was like the same thing, same but thing. like on VH1. Well, um, here it's not Robin Leach. Here. It's it is an actor named um, Mark. Help me out here. I'm getting, I'm getting, I knew that was coming. I was like, shit, I had that was right, the one I thing had I didn't. No, I got it right at the tip of my tongue. He was, it was, um, <sighs> see, now there was another, there was, a, there was an actress on this. He's from the t- television show Fridays. 
Um, and I'm going to say Mark Kemp, but that's Brandis Kemp was, I think, the actress on that. It was, um, was Mark he? Blankfield. Okay. I knew, I just, I don't know why that slipped my head there. Is he, um, is he doing a Robin Leach voice? No, he's just doing kind of like this clueless reporter guy. Yeah. So, you know, it's not a direct rip of lifestyles of the rich and famous but you know it's the still the kind of the yeah. he goes to the kiss the quote-unquote kiss mansion mm-hmm. which of course was a rented mansion yeah <laughs> well it wasn't actually one of their houses i've heard conflicting so in researching this i've actually heard conflicting arguments i've heard that it was a rented mansion i heard that part was rented but part was actually paul's house the backyard like where the pool was that that was paul's house uh, and then I've heard that a lot of the interior, not the exterior, but the interior was shot at Paul's place. So there's I, a clever yeah, edit. I don't know. There, there's a Maybe. clever edit when they're walking down the hall and they're about to go into Gene's room. It's, it, and the camera bumps into Paul creating a all black screen. And when it pulls back out, they open up the door. And that opens up to a brand new area. Well, that's possible, yeah. I don't... I just... Um I know that they rented a place called the Greystone Manor, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, so at least the externals were, were down right. there. I'm not sure, though. I mean, it really doesn't matter. From what I understand, I think it was a fairly open secret that a lot of the stuff that was in the the actual Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous show wasn't actually the celebrity homes. No. It was, you know, it was sort of like pro wrestling for the the high elite or something, yeah. you know. But, yeah, so, but the whole hook of the video is like, you know, the guy walks up and he's like, hey, you know, we're here for the thing. And he's like, I thought 12 midnight. He's like, no, 12 in the afternoon, yeah, Paul. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you see these eyes? I'm tired, okay? Oh, yeah. and, and he's like, and so and eventually they Paul get, was partying so hard the night before. I know. Oh, that's oh, kind yeah. of like, oh, look at these rock stars and they're like sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. So, you know, the guy reluctantly gets invited in. Of course, there's like women hanging all over the place and running around and all that and the ongoing bid is like cut her out yeah, <laughs> yeah. and honestly that is kind of a funny joke that like would, a girl will run past the screen and like Bruce or Paul will look and they're like cut her out her yeah out. cut her out that's that's real yeah, that's one of the few funny things in it it's pretty campy for the most it's part it's very campy the best parts to me were the parts where they were semi-serious and were telling you know the history they're telling the story of their history the mm-hmm. interview with Paul Jean just sitting there kind of telling the history yeah while Jean's wearing a fucking Dracula yeah, cape or I, whatever well, the fuck I it, well I don't know Dra- I, Dracula cape with like white tracksuit pants yeah. like sweatpants <laughs> it's it's um, that's his 80s demon I guess <laughs> I think this video kind of demonstrates just sort of how out of sync they seem to be with everything. And it's like, again, there was even at the time, because I can, like I said, I remember this coming out, you know, you kind of got, you didn't, you weren't able to really necessarily process it in your brain, but you could tell it's like, these guys didn't come off as cool at all to me. It just came off as sleazy and, and just you and know. like Paul was trying like in hindsight watching it and knowing Paul's attitude he was trying to be goofy every time he said he was trying to say everything with an air of like sarcasm and or wit yeah but, but it, it didn't it really come across especially yeah. when I was a younger fan watching this just to seem like an excited Paul now watching it you see him trying to be comedic he's like I have to put 
push my uh, workout tape. Yeah. Or your workout. Yeah, come on, do something with me. Looking at it now, you see him trying to be funny. But as a younger fan trying to take it all in at face value, it really doesn't feel like that. You know, you say that. You know what I, where Paul tends to be funny is when he's actually being very dry and yeah. sardonic. Here he's trying to be slapstick mm-hmm. and he's not, his timing and everything. You got to have a sense of timing for that. These guys don't really have that. You know, no, they got jokes for days, but it, it, I don't. So I don't think any of these these comedic interludes really worked all that well. I didn't either. You know what really was the bomb blast for everybody was to be able to finally see footage of the original Kiss in their full glory. And that was like, was that a big you know driver for this? Release uh, well, too? It, it, it certainly was. At least in the in in like, like okay, this this is how I remember this. <laughs> In high school, I was in high school when this came out, and of course, by this point in high school, you had the media. Uh, we called it a media cart. You, you, they only had like a so many of them. They were there was a cart that had a TV and a VCR on it, and you would wheel it from room to room. You know, they had to yeah. share it. Not every room had a TV. You know, yeah. not every room had its own. VHS player. They only had so many that the budget of the school board allowed, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Kind of how my school was. <laughs> well, some way, somehow, you know, our school was so big in this era at when I, where I went to school, there was over 3,000 kids in it for one school. It was the most populated, populated school in the entire state at wow. the time. And so the day was had these weird – it was divided up in a weird way that there was actually three scheduled lunches. You either had the A, B, or C lunch. And of course, you know, for us, you know, hoodlum types, we would cut class. And, you know, one the most common thing to do is you cut whatever class that corresponded with the ABC. You know, some guys would just go to all three lunches and, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. well, we found one of these media carts and snuck it into an empty classroom. And this we would do on the regular. To watch this this video. Now, was it on the media cart? The video was it. But okay, the, I was about we to, brought the video. Okay, I was about to say. I was like, wait, the video fuck cart. a minute. No, 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 no. We, brought the, we brought the tape from home. <laughs> Would y'all watch this in a closet? No, <laughs> no. We went into a like an empty classroom. Oh, okay. And we all gathered around and watched this. And you know, the one piece of footage that really, really, we just watched over and fucking over was the black and white Winterland. Winterland. Man, that was like. Everyone loved that. Everyone. There were people who were like, oh, man, Kiss sucks, man. Yeah, watch this. Well, goddamn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally. Literally. I mean, people are like, the Kiss sucks people were like, what the fuck is this? Because they're like, I didn't know. You know? Yeah. Because what they had seen was tears are falling. Right? <laughs> and, and instead, what they got was like a, th- a fist to the throat. They're just like, oh, wow, Kiss was actually good. All of this makeup footage, man, it was... It, that was the driver for this thing more so than anything else that was on this tape. And also, uh, in kind of rewatching some of the bits and pieces, I remembered when I was watching it, one of the other scenes I thought was really cool was the lead-in to them showing some of the old footage. They were also showing off some old costume pieces yeah, and things yeah. like that. Like They hand-selected a few things and kind of dressed up a room with some cool old stuff. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool, yeah. too. Yeah, we, yeah, I remember that, too. And... Um, but it's like it was the first time that they had kind of stopped, took a step back, and looked in the rearview mirror and said, "Here's where we've been." Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, in that acknowledgement, what does that do? 
it just stokes the flames. I was about to say, and and, and, and and then everyone. God, I wish the original band would reunite. I wish the original band would reunite. I wish it, you know, mm-hmm. that's what everyone still wanted. Which goes back to my original theory that they could have continued as a makeup group, you know, and bided their time and still have pulled off a comeback at some point. But yeah. they weren't going to pull it off with the lineup they had. No. And they weren't going to pull it off with Crazy Nights as try as they might. But no, there was some really good footage on here. So outside of just traditional music videos they released at the time, because that included like Lick It Up, Tears of Fallen, All Hell's Breaking Loose, blah, blah, blah. The uh, the good shit that's in there. Well, like I mentioned, the I Love It Loud from Rio, uh, Deuce from Winterland, uh, Strutter, Detroit 76, Beth Houston 77, Detroit Rock City, Australia 1980. That yeah, was the that Unmasked was, Tour. Yeah, yep. I watched that over and over. Yeah, we did too. Specifically yeah. because Paul does a different vocal melody on Detroit Rock City, and I've all, and that's the only time he ever did it was on that tour consistently. Right, right. But it's on the no, uh, no, right. I know what you're talking about. It, it, I like that. There's, it's, yeah, I don't I, want I do too. I like the other better, but I like think, as the odd variant, it's really cool. Also, Eric Carr's ripping on that show too. He like again, he doesn't play like Peter, but it is a monstrous performance. They, they they were really tight on that i think the audio from that show that sydney show from 1980 i think they went back and doctored that I the think vocals he, were for sure vocals. Um, mm. I, for some reason i went back into a dynasty unmasked phase on youtube mm. uh, of all places and yeah uh reading through some of the comments and clicking through a few different links and reading articles I think they were planning on doing a lot more with those Australia dates because and we I don't know if we mentioned it during the episode or not, but they actually did stop in a studio in Australia and give a lot of the the alive treatment. Okay. They well, redubbed then, a lot of guitars yeah. and vocals. So I think they were planning on doing a little bit more with that than just releasing the Inner Sanctum, which is, I think, what got released you know, from the it. The Inner Sanctum has never popped up on YouTube. Is it, is it the full Inner Sanctum that I, that I, I used to have on? I probably still got it somewhere. I think that's what sparked my interest in like finding Recently, through. there's and, a guy on YouTube that's okay. doing these long uh, Kiss Through the Years videos. Yes. They're really, really well done, really excellent. I've seen a few of those where there's like the he takes the journals and stuff like yeah, that, or like the he's audio taking books. the audio books and using that as the narration. And he's interspersing it with clips, and then he has commercials from respective eras to kind of harken back. They're really well done, but mm-hmm. that had the most of the inner sanctum that I've ever seen on YouTube. Anywhere. Okay, as of one year ago, someone uploaded the forty-three minute special. Okay, that might be it then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that's it's it's only been recent. I'm surprised that hasn't been that wasn't one of the first things uploaded straight away because that's one of the first pieces of bootleg video I ever got 30 years ago. Oh wow! Yeah. So you got it all. I think that had that experience in the 70s, and then you have it again in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can remember you know getting these bootlegs back then. The first one I got was the Largo 79 Capital Center Dynasty show, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, there, you see a lot of these wavy lines. It's also in the it's in the home video for the Houston show for Exposed. Yep. Those wavy lines are caused by a signal interference from the volume of the of the 
of the music it's you can't get rid of it i, I don't they, yeah. well they, they have in they recent might technology have, yeah i was gonna say maybe crazy. now they can sorry are you I'm, good i'm stomping on people's feet <laughs> we're so excited put, over here footsies <laughs> under the table but yeah detroit rock city from australia and then uh they filled it up with a few more modern videos ending it out with i love it loud uh but then which was cool uh seeing the i love it loud music video that didn't get a whole lot of rotation so yeah, having that was, it on that was, that was yeah cool. that was really cool to see the full thing with the intro and the outro mm-hmm. yeah and then you had uh, i stole your love from houston 77 uh then the heavens on fire music video uh ladies room houston 77 and then rock and roll all night from australia 1980 with the cool little outro with like the cannon going off and shit where they're no, oh that was the no the the outro was from the rio show yeah 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 the, well they, they end it with rock and yeah, roll and yeah, they yeah. say and something they, and then, then it goes to that yeah, yeah, yeah you're right yep but no i always thought that was also a cool little piece it's like as much as the shit show the creatures tour wound up being that it was that was yeah. a pretty cool outro for the time standing yeah. up on the cannon having to shoot yeah, the fireworks no, I thought that was a cool stage mm. I, yeah I, I i i would have enjoyed seeing that tour but exposed uh this was honestly in heavy rotation for me as an early kiss fan right um because that's a what, good primer yeah collect all a lot of footage and all that too. Correctly, prima. <laughs> because uh what i'm holding in my hand now is actually the original dvd that i got when i first saw it all because when as i mentioned on our very first episode when i first became a fan it was right when like the second coming was coming out and stuff like that. Oh yeah, so, so you had a, lot a lot of, of that. So yeah. a lot of DVD reissues were happening at the time. So it was easy to find something like Exposed. And Mom was like, "Ooh, okay. If you're getting into Kiss now, I haven't even seen this in forever. Let's grab this." And like I remember both of us watching it till the end. And she's like, "What did you like?" And exactly what you said. I said, "I like the old footage, specifically the Unmasked stuff. Yeah. I've never seen anything from Unmasked before. Right? I've seen the black." And white footage because of the VHS tapes you sent us. Did she have a problem with the nudity in it? No, by that by that point she had kind of you know my mom. She yeah, oh, she, yeah. she was very much under I would rather you see tits than someone chop a head off. Right. So she's like, at least the human body is more so, yeah, natural. My, my parents were the other way around. Though. Right. <laughs> I don't understand what, the, what, what it was with the old school Cold War, you know, moral majority kind of mentality that so, was like, okay, you want to watch someone get like riddled with bullets? That's okay. But yeah, the, the, those exposed breasts, no, no yeah. well, that's bad. Son, you want to come watch the Patriot and see somebody's head get like blown off with a cannonball? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. So but she it was, was the Patriot. <laughs> yeah. So we can all feel good. Let's all, let's all, you know, baseball, hot dogs. Apple pie, patriotic as fuck, and, bro, and some and some good wholesale murder. Yeah, yeah. So, so she, she was much uh, she was much happier that I was into kiss. That occasionally I'd run into some uh, boobies rather than you know that being in, super into you know violent you know movies and I, shit like I that. I think it's interesting they got Mark Blankfield on here because I knew instantly who he was right away from having watched Fridays when I was a kid. I assume that's where that connection was made. But Mark Blankfield's star never really ascended. He made a movie in the around uh, it was probably before this, where he did this uh, movie called Jekyll and Hyde Together Again, which was like a slapstick kind of piss take on Jekyll and Hyde. 
But um, oh, actually, one last little note about the uh, the front cover. One, everyone is photoshopped in at different <laughs> things, or like either heads are replaced. One of the well, two. There's well, a lot of editing going on. Bruce in this photo. and Eric are definitely photoshopped. In. Okay, yeah. thank you. That, that's what I'm looking we, at. That. You, we could pick up on that. That was the picture they used in the ad too. Yeah, you could see that straight away. It was so only me and Paul get the obvious. get get this group. <laughs> but then. At the very bottom, what seems like just a standard warning label, it looks like the Surgeon's General warning that you would find on a pack of cigarettes. It says, warning, contain situations that will disgust some and titillate others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way it opens. It's got Howard uh-huh. Marks doing the introduction. Yep. Howard Marks pops up at the introduction. He also pops up as the father in the I Love It Loud video. Um but that was Howard Marks. So a lot, for people that want to associate a face with that name, yeah. that was the guy. Hmm. Um, is there anything else we want to pull off of this? This kiss exposed? Or we- I have one final question about it. Do yeah. you think uh, Paul and Gene were uh, aware of the fan reaction to the uh, old footage? I think they were conscious going into it, or they wouldn't I, I have leaned know. onto it I so don't heavy. Know. That's that's a good question mark. Coming out of it, they had to have been. Well, I think leading in, and for one producer reason, when they started talking about all the tapes, so they made the joke about, you know, oh, this was during the Love Gun era where, you know, all these girls were vowing to be Gene's yeah, gun yeah, holster. Uh, uh, vowing to be, yeah. Yes. It makes it imply yeah. like they've got sex tapes and yeah, stuff, exactly. which I'm sure don't actually exist. But as soon as they started talking about footage that they weren't going to show, the cameraman was eagerly reaching like oh i want to yeah, see yeah, that i want to yeah. see well, that that's I when he see was that. making it making some sort of reference that it's like a sex tape well but then anytime other yeah. footage would come up he was like grasping like, well, we re- talked have we talked about the videos like the ownership issues how like there's 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 a lot of weird dynamics to these videos we like, may have yeah. touched on it but now would be a good time yeah too. a lot of minutiae with I don't, this too well i mean i'm only pulling this off of like what i've heard off of um i think it's Kurt Gooch talked about this on other podcasts, so I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to misstate it. But the way I understand it is that, you know, yes, you might own this video, but you don't own the music that's contained right. in the right. video. Whereas the music that's you know, so you could have like literally like that's the that's the that's the what holds these things up is mm-hmm. licensing issues because somebody owns the music somebody owns the rights to the footage yep. and then someone actually owns the physical copy yep of the master copy yep so that that actually makes total sense so which you is why get, you'll see sometimes these bootlegs come up on youtube that are silent Right, because someone wound up only being able to purchase the rights to the footage. Yeah, they don't own the rights to the soundboard audio gotta, because some other collector owns the master copy to that. And then if they want to release it, guess who else they have to yeah. go through? Universal, because they, they own, own the, the actual songs. So yeah, it's like a convergence of of of, of things that happen. like it's interesting. The um, Paul in Halloween special, there is a you know there's a DVD of that you can buy. And it's a high grade quality, but the person that owns it has never officially licensed it for release. So that is a technically a, an illegal thing. But he's never gone after anybody. He's never sued anybody. Well, the thing but is, somebody is, tried to put out Kiss Meets the Phantom, mm-hmm. and that got shut down. Well, see the hmm. uh, the Paul Lynn special you're talking about. Even that version was an extremely high grade, like first gen copy. Yeah, that still wasn't right. The it wasn't the master, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, and you know what? 
I got to see that, and I got to hold that exact DVD in my hand. You know where of all places I got it? Mm. Netflix. Back in the day when oh, they yeah. still did DVDs, yeah, yeah. they had it. Yeah. And I remember Mom and I just hopped on I there. We were swapping it out. It. Really? It, yeah, I think you can still find it. Um, but I just remember that being one of those. We were just flipping through, and I was like, oh, what? <laughs> we immediately added it like the next day. We like popped popcorn, sat down, watched it. <laughs> well... You know, it's it, we'll, we'll, speaking of lawsuits, we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of this because, you know, as they kind of crash through the 80s here, they're kind of going from one crisis from one crisis to another. They're always like scrambling for cash. And you think, how are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Because they squandered their money. They squandered their money. I mean, and to a certain extent, you could make the argument that the money wasn't necessarily squandered so much as it was invested in in trying to bring this, you know, magnificent, you know, massive stage show on the road. Mm -hmm. But they didn't see a return on these investments. Um, I'm sure Ron Nevison wasn't, you know, a cheap purchase either. For and on the yeah, well, that's that. That's about to play into all this uh, on the animalized tour. At one point, they're forced to quote unquote beg. That's Chris Lentz word from his book, beg for cash from the uh, record company in advance. And you got to remember in advance is just that it's an advance that they're going to have to To pay pay back. back. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was just to keep the show on the road. Um, And as we talked about in the, um, Last episode, there was a date where they uh, had a meeting with Glickman Marks, and um, you know the the group is starting to feel like they're being mismanaged. Although the paperwork supports the truth, they're just not listening. Yeah. You know, um, ironically, Howard Marks had hoped to make a bogus play by. Uh, probably out of desperation here, projecting a $5 million income over the next 24 months. I don't know how they were supposed to do that. So he gets Chris Lent and the group, you know, who's the touring accountant. And then the groups, the, the accountant, a guy named David Weidenbaum. Yeah. Weidenbaum. And they make an effort to cook the books to, 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 to prove, you know, support this projection, but uh, it's beyond even the symbolic fix. Um, and like I said, we we were talking about you know the legal ramifications of these footage and stuff. And mm-hmm. The group is getting sued, and they're getting sued a lot. Um, uh, right out of the, the one of the one of the big ones was the uh, company that supplied the lasers for the '79 Dynasty tour. Coming back, coming oh back, God. saying the lasers worked. Now maybe they didn't work to the to the to the effect that you were trying to create, but the lasers worked. So therefore, you were in breach. You 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 you've cost us lost revenue for having gone through. You know, you know, it took them a while to for, to get that out, though, right? <laughs> well, I mean, these things get dragged out in court. Yeah, I mean, okay. relatively, that's like less than ten years. Yeah, it's yeah. So I'm saying this is all across the '80s. I don't have specific yeah. dates, but all this stuff is going on. Vinnie Poncia uh, has Kiss's books audited. I think we talked about this in a yeah. previous episode. They settle with them and pay them off because they want to keep on a amicable kind yeah, of... Yeah, because we were kind of discussing it. was like, that's one of the last few people he, they've really got. But Michael James Jackson also sued for unpaid royalties. And they're like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he, he had not received any, any payments or any accounting claims for over a year. 
So he he's a suitor threatened to sue, and they they had to settle and pay him off. Now you got to remember, all of this is occurring while they're still not reaping in the income that they need to. Everything God. everything that's coming in is going straight back out. And Vinnie Vincent sued for the first time. And you guess what? Pay he got his fucking money then. You still got to pay these. They always hear the thing of like he always loses. No. Not, not, not to the information I got this first time he, I, he or at least the settlement so you know? what, but this much, is for publishing royalties how yeah. much did he get did they say nope I don't I don't think that these you know the, I'm getting this information from the Chris Lent book right and I think that there's probably a legal uh, thing it, you know usually they don't get to say how much the money you know? yeah if, if they if they go out of court but for the, it the, the implication is it's hurting. It's biting into their income. Yeah. Um, a group. Uh, they they had signed a uh, merchandising deal with a with a company called Rock Tours Limited to handle the Creatures of the Night tour, and then they also negotiated a deal for Lick It Up. But then Winterland came in and they renegotiated a deal or you know set up a deal with Winterland and just were like, we'll just have to take our chances with this guy. Well, they took their chances. A suit. <laughs> <laughs> but but they they were able to beat it. But of course, again, it's racking up needless lawyers' fees. Yep. Mm-hmm. Legal fees are expensive. You know, yeah. this isn't like you know small small amounts of money. Bill of coin pops up. Hey, he's <laughs> me sue, or maybe he did. I don't know, but he was able to to negotiate a one time cash buyout. You know, bye bye, go away. Peter Chris, the same way. He pops up. They have to buy him out, pay him off. Now, yep. what they get in return uh, for that makeup has benefited them to this day. So this is where all of but this happens. But at the time, you know. Yes, that is actually. That's that's how they actually got a little bit of cash, too. Because they, they, not, or they, they cut off some of what they owed him. Probably. I'm sure. Because yeah, Peter it was a came looking yeah. for money. Yeah. And they were like, well, we won't give you this much, but we'll give you this much if you give us over the makeup. Um. The company they kiss would rent gear from, you know, typically the PA and stuff is all rented. It's sublet off off something else. Yeah. Well, they rented the gear to go to South America. And as we talked about in that episode, on the way back, the promoter seized the gear and held it for ransom. Mm-hmm. Well, now the company that actually owned that gear <laughs> sued kiss for loss you know, lost revenue. So, bro, this this was like cartels and shit. So, I mean, kids are like, I mean, this is just a shit show of like, and now the best part or worst, <laughs> um, is this coal mine tax shelter that they got involved with in the late seventies. Oh, and what essentially happened here is they they you know a tax shelter of course means it it blocks you shields your money from being taxed when you collect the return on that investment. Mm. Um, these things were, you know, to this day, people, you know, investors are always looking for good tax shelters. And yeah. at the time it was, it was thought that this was a mutually benefited kind of thing. You're investing in coal, you're investing in natural resources. That's obviously a positive and to invest in our natural resources will provide a tax shelter, blah, 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 blah. well, in the early 80s, these tax shelters were canceled. <laughs> the returns could be worth three or four times the initial investment. So it's a, it was a good thing and probably were seeing returns. But they were taking that money and spending it on other things. Like lawyers. And- well, well, probably, yeah, well, also <laughs> their own 
their own lifestyles, you know, the houses and whatever they might have had. But also they're investing it into the band's stage tours and stuff, which, of course, as Mm -hmm. we've talked about, none of them since even the Dynasty Tour were making money. So this money is sort of just kind of bleeding out. This is their investment money that primarily was set up so they would have money, you know, income to retire on. Yeah. Well, these tax shelters are canceled and now taxes are owed. Retroactively, <laughs> for X plus amount. interest. What the fuck? How many? Which would be more than the amount they initially invested to start with. God, for how many years too? This would go if, about ten years. <sighs> ten years were yeah. This was giant. I don't. Yeah. This gets this gets kind of overlooked and glossed over. This is giant. This sinks the whole thing. I don't think people realize just how bad of a situation they are in Because I always here. heard they made bad real estate choices or something like that. Like they were buying no, land and some one. of that really well, didn't work out. They were able to sell that stuff off and liquidate it. And, and a lot of this was done to help pay off the expenses too. Um, I mean, they had some successful investments and that's mentioned in Chris Lint's book. But I think a lot of the positives got wiped out primarily by this. Um, I mean, as individuals... They have their own money, although uh, the accounting was so messed up that Paul's electric bill was never paid at one point, and he was put into the dark temporarily, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> it's funny I mean, because, yeah. because A, it's like, you don't pay your own electric bill? Oh, no. you got Of course, your accountant does all that. Mm-hmm. you know. But it, it, I think it just goes to show how much that they were trying to you know juggle mm-hmm. that something such an obvious, simple expense would get lost. But also just imagine, like, again, Paul's not in the poor house yet. You know, he's still like you said. He's still got some personal money in the bank. The yep. band funds and right. the record company may be hurting, but everyone still has a couple bucks in their pocket. Probably, imagine, but there's no income. There, it, it's yeah. It's you but, know. but imagine being Paul, knowing you have at least a hundred dollars in the bank account, and all of a sudden your power just goes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, wait, wait the wait, fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh no, I can't see. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> I'm gonna write a phone call. DX in six. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I just know that. I mean, it's just it's a bad situation, which means they're still gonna have to continue to work and do what they can to bring income in because you know they're not the superstar, mega rich band that everyone seems to think they are. And to the point, that whole Kiss Exposed video makes it look like they are living this lavish lifestyle, which they are clearly not. They can't afford to live a lavish lifestyle, even if they have money in the bank. You know, the cars were rented. The the houses often were rented. They don't, you know, there's not a lot that they actually own. Uh, this isn't an unusual story. A lot of bands find themselves in these situations. There's the famous story of Black Flag, or Black Flag, God damn it, Black Sabbath. <laughs> Being, you know, realizing, waking up one day and realizing that everything that they thought they owned actually belonged to their managers. Yeah. Um, but here it belongs to them. But they just, you know, they no, you know, and maybe you could make the argument that Glickman Marks weren't really as adept as they should have been. I don't know. But at this point, it's all moot because, you know, they, they have to figure out a way to negotiate their way out of this mess with the tax man which they will do and we'll get to that in a minute um but not before they fire glickman marks 
the only person they clean house. Yep. This is done in March oh, okay. of nineteen eighty eight while they're still on tour. They do this they make this phone call from the road. Uh the kind of a cowardly way to do it. They um they retain their lawyer, a guy named Paul Marshall, and uh, management is taken over by a man named Jesse Hilson, who was Paul's psychiatrist. Yeah, we brought that up in the last episode, too. Why? Yeah, yeah we didn't go in. We kind of teased it. I, I don't understand so, the logic behind this. So Paul Stanley says in this book, and it's kind of infuriating. He says, like, uh, we hired my lo- uh, my therapist to be our uh, our lawyer. And somebody would, some people would say, why would you do that? Well, there's just a lot of things in KISS that you just go against the grain on in so yeah, many that, words. That was, that's his justification is there's so many things in KISS that we went against the grain. Why not make my therapist our manager? Why, what could possibly why, go wrong? Okay, discount Paul's opinion on this. Yeah. How did Gene go along with this? I don't think Gene was involved. I don't think he had to be involved well, okay. to that point. Well, I mean, well, you this have is, to. This is what I'm thinking. So. It, I reference Paul is the only one that actually kind of talks about this era in any of the uh, like resources or like any of the band books, really. Like even Gene kind of glosses over this era because he wasn't really mentally there. And Paul mentions that this was the era in which he kind of pulls Gene to the side and was like, look, I'm tired of carrying this by myself. You need to step up at least a little bit. That's good rhetoric. But we're going to find out that that isn't exactly accurate. <laughs> oh, so you actually have something that kind yeah, of... Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. <laughs> You're like, of course I do. Anything you have to say, I've got some. No, I know, I mean, the narrative that, I've heard, too. That is, a, that is the narrative. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense. And there's probably a, a sizable kernel of truth to that. Yeah, and, and he was saying that, you know, it wasn't fixed in that one conversation. It opened up the conversation for a month long or, you know, however long it took to, you know, fully well, get them back got, into play. you've got Gene, who's negotiated a deal with RCA to form his own imprint, Simmons Records. Yeah. yeah. He, he releases albums by groups called House of Lords, which was members of Angel, I think. Yeah. Uh, a group called Silent Rage, a mm. group called Gypsy Rose. I mean, these are very 80s household names. names. <laughs> None of them do well. He manages, in some level, Liza Minnelli. Yeah, he talks about that in his book, too. Well, I, which, you was, know, which goes nowhere and does nothing. But what we, we always hear about, you know, he's out mogling. He's starting a record label. He's managing mm-hmm. acts. He's getting movie roles. So he's got his uh, KISS manager, and he also has his entertainment manager, and then his business manager. Gene's just manager. not involved. Gene's just not involved. Paul Stanley also forms his own management agency. Did y'all know this? No. Not his own management agency, no. It's called Immaculate. <laughs> this is not a joke. I'm sorry, just that I was not expecting that. This, this is not a joke. <laughs> this, this feels like a mad TV skit. Oh, Paul, do you Ethan. have a. I understand you're starting your own. Hey, Paul. <laughs> Don't. What's the name of your record? <laughs> hey, Paul. I saw the look on your face. Don't even. <laughs> he said in full makeup. It's called Immaculate. <laughs> <laughs> so he's representing at least two acts. You can't make this shit up. Unchained and a band called Racket, spelled with two T's. Of course, of course. Yeah. That's, All right. That's very racket. And of he them. is also trying to score acting roles, but yeah. he's not having any success with it. Uh, before they fire Glickman Marks, Howard Marks is pretty much devoted himself wholly to. Kiss, I mean, to the expense of his own advertising agency. 
and to Paul in particular. And at some point, um, and Chris again, Chris Lent's words, Howard Marks was despondent over trying to find Paul an acting gig because obviously Paul was riding his ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to act too. I yeah. want, I want this too. And he's getting, uh, I guess he's getting auditions that go nowhere. But Howard Marks is making calls with his connections at ICM and CAA and, to no avail. And they're just Can't like, get his calls returned. They're just like, we saw you in that Kiss Exposed video. And we're just <laughs> like, no. So, you know, Paul is trying desperately to, to go, you know, blow by blow with Gene. He wants all the same stuff. He's just not successful at it. Mm hmm. And so, conveniently, all of this is overlooked in Paul's memoirs. Yeah. Because, you know, you're well, always he talks the about hero forming of your own a band. Shit. What, his own solo band? Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. Because all of this is important to what the point we're going to make here yeah. in a minute. Because some of this, you know, some of this kind of seems uh, contradictory. But Eric is working with a band, interestingly enough, from Rock Hill, South Carolina. Really? I haven't heard this story. And they're called New York. <laughs> New York from South Carolina. <laughs> Rock Hill. From Rock we're Hill, not, we're South not too far from Rock for, Hill. For We've, people that don't know. I we, was in Rock we, Hill last Rock, night. <laughs> Rock Hill is right across the state line from Charlotte. Charlotte's on the state line of North, North and South Carolina. And Rock Hill's essentially a suburb of Charlotte, Yeah, for lack of a better term. Yeah, that's um, right. But Rock Hill, yeah, I can remember this band advertising their stuff in the back of magazines. There was a couple of bands that they self-promoted to the point of buying quarter-page ads in the back of, like, Circus Magazine. New York was one of them. Never heard them. Don't know anything about them. (laughs) Never seen their stuff available, which you would think it would be at least marginally easily come by around right. here, you know, or being that we're in the area. Yeah. Never have. Hmm. Um, Nobody's but, got any demos. And it's interesting, you know, it's like, uh, I would have thought, you know, maybe they would have opened for the local KISS shows. That never happened. But then, you know, again, Eric isn't a full member. He's just, a, you know, he doesn't have that much clout. But it is interesting to note that, you know, the band he's working with is basically from our our neck of the woods. Bruce produces a demo himself for a band called Electric Angels, which features a young Ryan Roxy who now plays with Alice Cooper. Oh, wow. And one of the songs is called You Put the X in Sex. Oh, shit. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun. KISS will Looking resolve up. their tax debt back to the tax debt. They will resolve their tax debt by negotiating a settlement and paying it off by selling their publishing to a Japanese company called Hori America. H-O-R-I. I guess that's how it's pronounced. Hori. Yeah. Hmm. But before they do, and they, I, I don't think that they knew that this was going to happen, but it is convenient. They're going to release a new compilation album. Yes. Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Which is, I guess, the reason why we're sitting here today. Snickers, kickers, and pickers. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Um, With new music. With two new songs. Yeah. But this compilation is also uh, an effort to take their back catalog and update it with new remixed versions. All these songs are remixed, I think, in some fashion. Most of them, yeah. 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 And, And the idea here is to update the sound quality. Um, 
or have it be more with the times. Yeah, and I I don't think it works. But I mean, I don't think we're going to go track by track here. I'd like to go. I want to hit on a couple of songs here. Yeah, yeah there's a couple so, of things to point out with some specific things, though. All right. So when I was digging into this, I actually have a weird connection with smashes i'm not saying i like it but i have a weird connection with it because when i've told that story about um being in like second or third grade and my art teacher giving me uh the option of using a ace fairly les paul guitar as kind of a theme for a um art project he was like oh so you're a fan of kiss i was like yeah he's like well i've got some vinyl records at home if it's okay with your mom i'll give them to you one of the two was smashes thrashes and hits so i was just, oh my god i've got kiss on vinyl now what Wow, you know, all that stuff. So I remember listening to that stuff intently because I was like, wow, this record just sounds really different than the CDs mom has. So always growing up with this, this record's kind of always had an odd place for me of like, a lot of this is kind of like my first experience with some of the songs. Mm -hmm. So hearing the differences is very evident to me. Well, before we get into that, should we go through the originals first? These two new original songs. Yeah, we Might can spend, well. we can spend the two minutes they start on both. The record. Yeah, we can spend the two minutes on both of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're well. We, we well, uh, well, let's 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 do it proper. Let's, let's do it proper. proper. We, we, we uh, the first song is let's put the X and sex now again. <laughs> We the just best referenced title ever. <laughs> we just referenced there was a song that Bruce was working on called yes. "You Put the X in Sex." It's almost certain they copped the title. Hey, Bruce, I got a great uh, title for a song, "The X in Sex." Bruce was like, "What?" No, Bruce, <laughs> but this but Bruce would have brought it to the table because this was with the group that Bruce was producing. Oh, that's right. And Paul's just kind of like, hmm. hmm. Um, this rec- these songs are recorded in July of 89 at Right Track Studios, and they're co-written with Desmond Child. I think um, Diane Warren co-writes You Make Me Rock Hard, yeah. the other track, mm-hmm. along with Desmond Child again. again. Again, Diane Warren wrote the song for fucking Titanic. And I'm and not she sure. also wrote You Make Me Rock Hard. Yeah, well, I mean, she's written a, 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 a lot I'm of hits. saying. <laughs> she has. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? It's 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 making music by the hour. It's not you know they're clocking in and they're just writing. Yeah, I'm write. just part that's of kind of like that, Bravo. That is that that is now how music, you know, popular music is made. It's yeah. like they're staff songwriters that go in on Monday and they're like, "What's today? Today is R and B day. We're going to write an R and B song." Yes, yeah, they Devin come in Child on Tuesday. They clock in. What's today? We're going to write a country song. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't really have. Well, we got leftover R and B. Well, let's just put a country twang to it, and that becomes. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's today? Today is we're going to do the commercial for Sears or whoever. <laughs> you know? mm. That's what that, that that's literally how these songs are written, and that's. You know, and people buy it, so it is what it is. Hey. I mean, you know, it's 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 completely emotionalist, it's completely academic, and it's completely without any regard for quality whatsoever, other than can we sell, 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 sell? And, and then it's like, once is you know, how long has it got to sell? It's just got to sell long enough to make some money, and we then we'll have another another one. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's a it's processed like cheese. That's the music industry. That's Salsa why commercial music is so fucking terrible. But that's I'm gonna get off my. I know. <laughs> that's 
probably that's partly why these songs are so bad because they're written with that kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. It's like we need a fast, cheap, quick, easy, quote unquote, hit song because, like we said, they're in a lot of trouble here, and <laughs> I, I don't know how they think this is going to work. Let's put the X and Sex. I don't even know who's playing on this outside of Paul and Bruce. Um, I think Paul does the bass on both of them, too, or he at least does the bass on uh, X and Sex. And I don't, I guess it sounds like a live drum, but I'm also sure that there's a drum machine. There's oh, drum machine sure programming. It's Alan Schwartzberg in the back, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> but this song, I mean, I, I can, I, I see Alex is like, he's like rearing back here. He's like chomping at the bit. What do you got to say? I, just, I hate the song. I just hate it. It's, <laughs> fucking horrible the music video is terrible the song is terrible there's barely any fucking guitar in it it's all synthesizer and the same thing is if paul stanley was sitting here next to me he'd be nodding nodding right along like he in hindsight does not like this shit what's your take uh it's it's like it sounds it's trying to be like a rolling stone song but like really shitty 80s version of it you know what i mean with that with the horns and everything too the riff is there there is a riff there, but it's buried it's under that. Women. It's, it's is it? You think it's kind of sort of. Kind of. I think it's a cool riff. I mean, it's a fine it guitar the, riff. Again, it's like we've talked about this a hundred times, and it just, I, I, you know, you hear the potential. Yeah, but it's not realized. It's, it's, it's the buried vocal, it's under all that ruins or, it. It's buried under all that keyboard, that that fake keyboard horn, and that weird. Uh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, it, it's not a, cla- what, a clavel. Oh, the clavinet. The bump, yeah, bump, it's, bump, it's, bump, it's like bump, a synthesized bump, clavinet. Bump, yeah, that sounds. But they try to be funky with it, and it's not. And it just, it, you know, because they want to have a dance beat, and then just, you know, I feel like they were copying from George Michael, who had had a hit a year or two before with a song called "I Want Your Sex," mm. which at the time was very edgy. Yeah, you know, it was the conservative '80s, and a song like that was very, very edgy. So now they feel like, oh, well, now he did it, so can I. Mm-hmm. And but it's not following trends, you not know, setting yeah. them. There was, a, there was, you know, George Michael, whether you like him or not, is irrelevant to the issue. His song was, um, I don't know. There was, there had a, it had its own kind of genuine kind of thing to it right huge. this has a, a just a smug kind of uh opportunistic kind of thing to it mm-hmm. i agree with that it's not a it's not it was just a bad idea it was a bad song it had you know again the riff had the potential to be a better song yeah i, I could see that or like hot legs that's another song that it reminds me of yeah i mean it's a cool riff it really is if you yeah. listen to it again you you'll hear it and you'll go why did they do that with this why did they waste this on this song? Yeah. Because, I mean, it has the potential to be a much better song. Uh, I don't know how you do it, but I'm sure somebody that took a little time, care, and concern beyond just trying to piss out some throwaway track. By the way, wasn't there like a uh, strip club chart or something like that in the 80s? Or is that does that still exist? I remember like uh, hearing Paul Stanley or Gene talk about how they, these songs would get on strip club charts and shit like that. I've never heard that. Uh, that I, I don't know. That's the only time I heard it, but I remember them talking it, it about was, it. It was number seven nationwide on the yes. strip club charts. <laughs> it was exactly something like that. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. How would you even... I don't, I don't, I don't want to know. I just... Because it gets worse. You, it's, oh, it's not, there's, there's, there's a hundred reasons to hate this next one. You make me, in parentheses, you make me rock hard. <laughs> it's rock hard, but you make me rock hard. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Get it, get it, get it. Also written by 
Desmond Child. This is the one that's co-written with Diane Warren. Again, Oscar winner. You would think that, I mean, this is hardly the hit you'd think this trio would create. I mean, uh, given the track record of all the people involved, maybe even minus Paul Stanley, I mean, uh, this is what they came up with? You know what the worst part about both of these songs is? They're the exact same song in that one part in both choruses where it goes, uh, uh, what's it in uh, Rock Hard? Da, 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 da. They do the same thing mm-hmm. in X well, and Sex. Well, there's that pre-chorus. I like the pre-chorus. I love that part. I'm like, there's, there's again, a kernel of a song. Yeah. There's very, the it would be Diane very Warren song, work right there. <laughs> but it, it lasts like like three seconds in yeah. this, in, in, as a pre-chorus. I'm like, whoa, stop. Cut that and out now. and build off of that, and you might have something that you can work with. It'd be very poppy, but it's still better than the rest of this song, which seems like it's completely a throwaway. Well, see here, I have nothing to add than exactly what you said. I want to talk about the videos for two seconds. Yeah. Because one, let's put the X and sex. That's like some weird art deco Vogue. Well, fucking, that, okay. There's a reason for that. It's the, the art director, the director they brought is, in. Yeah. Is a, is a woman named Rebecca Blake. Um, Ironically, she directed Prince's Kiss video. <laughs> har har. But it's right. true. Um, the other thing you've got to remember is these are also very obvious ripoffs to um, uh, Robert Palmer, who was having a string of hits in the same time. With the dancing girls. With the, with the, yeah. And and the, the music is similar the everything it's like it's like they went from crazy nights being well, what's bon jovi doing to, uh, to mm-hmm. what's robert palmer doing what's van halen's uh hairdresser uh what what maybe he's working with robert palmer now i don't and know now, but this these both of these videos and the songs are, yeah. are direct rips of robert palmer particularly uh let's put the x in the sack well it's like that song and video as weird as this video is they're still essence of kiss there's still shades of kiss because there's a little bit of the black leather they're in a city there are girls it's just it's a it's that a that could be any band but what i'm I saying is there, but i'm saying that leading into do you remember what the set piece for you make me rock hard is russ is it a circus a circus trapeze yeah, tent. trapeze yeah yeah so you know what when i'm comparing the two i want to go let's put the x in sex has a little bit more of a kiss feel because they're already doing the prototype psycho circus <laughs> which was in itself bad but we yeah yes there. i know one odd thing about both videos is that paul stanley does not play guitar in any he of does them. not hold a guitar because he is quoted in saying that he at that point did not feel like kiss was the four members it felt like it was his band so he wanted to be a front man okay, and didn't want to have a guitar. That's fine. And that speaks into everything that we're getting here to as this winds down the year. Both of these come out in the fall of 88. Neither one does anything. No. And as they go into the year 1989, Paul does. Well, do we want to talk remixes real quick? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I got down to a certain amount of notes and then something happened and I'll get into it because it actually ties into an old episode and something we talked about there. So 
A lot of what I'm citing here actually comes from a website called axologyextended.wordpress.com. Uh, back in 2019, he actually wrote out an entire dissertation talking about the remix of Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Yeah, there's there's some of that. that there's I, I found uh, Kiss Fact um, the same thing. I was going to suggest that if people were really that deeply interested, they could go look at it. But if mm-hmm. you want to touch on uh, it. Because the, this article really gets into the mixing minutia. Because when growing up, I assumed they triggered the drums like they they were able to grab the signal to know when the snare was going to hit they were able to grab the signal to know when the well, kick was going to hit they definitely changed the drum sound well that's yeah. what i'm getting at so it sounded like they were able to like get you know a old casio computer uh, com- uh, keyboard rather to read when certain snare and kicks were going to hit and they could just play the samples over top Technology was to the point it could do we, that. We need, we're, we're, getting ahead of, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. We, we, or maybe we aren't. We, we did note that all of these song, songs have been remixed to yes. have an updated modern sound. Yes. So with the drum, that's what I'm about to get into. With the drums, though, they were not triggered. It was actually a full remix, and then the article gets a lot more in depth on how they did it. But it has to do with a lot of bit of compression and a lot of geeky shit, a lot of squashing, a lot of really <laughs> nerdy stuff that I'll save you. So essentially, they pulled in all, and this is very important for the Eureka moment I had earlier. They're actually this is for the very first time they're actually doing proper remixes, right? Because on double platinum they had to kind of rush things, and yeah. they they got remember we were talking about they got like mix matched things, and they're having to kind of piece things together, and it was everything was done in such a manic state, even like flying things over like within right. twenty four hours, a lot of shit got mixed up. So with this, this is the first time they can actually sit down, edit, do some shit, and they really did some odd shit with the snare and the kick made it sound like every, every single 80s like yes ZZ Top did the They're same like, thing I think they had a directive it's like okay here hey, we've got it we've got we've got the uh, notes here we've got really detailed notes what Paul wants what's it say neuter it it says just make it sound like ass so all, okay, say no more. More reverb. So so, yeah, say, well, so that was the idea because in the eighties everything got to be like super wet reverb. I hated the eighties production. Style. I did too. When I was a kid, I was just like, oh, is it from nineteen eighty whatever? Nah. So it, every song that's a classic song, aside from "I Was Made for Loving You," has remixed drums. Every single a classic yeah, song does. Yeah. But here are some extra little bits that I found in each one that I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And "Love Gun," uh, you do hear a little bit extra ambience with either the Ebo or keyboards. No, that was the one thing. We've talked about these drone notes before that were on Paul's solo album and on Love Gun. Mm -hmm. That is the Ebo. I did not Okay. Even think of that back then. Okay, so well, we did these episodes. So explain what an Ebo is. Well, we know we discussed it uh, oh, on Paul's we? record. Yeah, oh, so did? it was kind of like the electronic pick device. Yeah, and you, you hold like, it to your string, and it makes the string hum without actually picking the string. Yeah. So they definitely either raised or added more Ebo yeah. effect. And honestly, the messed up thing you we can go back and listen to it on the Love Gun Deluxe. This version with the messed up snare. And the louder Ebo sounds like the demo. 
it sounds like Paul's original demo well, because his demo had, had a, lot a lot more, more of that, that ambience. Yeah, we talked about that when yeah. we talked. Yeah, um, this really I, pulls back to that, and they did one extra interesting thing. They do a vocal cut right, right before yep. Ace's That's big outro. That's the one thing I really loved about this whole album. The, the, I was like, man, if they hadn't have just like totally fucked up the drums. Cutting out the vocals on that outro or coda or whatever you want yeah, to call yeah, yeah. it, and yeah. let just the lead play, man, because that's such a great run. It is. It's it really so is. Great. That's that's probably like the, a live two version, and, and it's so much like you know, it's like it just it shows how good Ace was. Yep. You could make the argument Ace wasn't a great guitar player. That's fine. We've talked about this, right? Yeah. But man, that's just that's just a just a cool thing. You know, it's like it's just cool. Maybe it's not good or mm-hmm. whatever you know what i mean right but it's fucking cool <laughs> detroit city not much really changed on it though uh, okay. it shares the same thing with deuce well wait wait go detroit rock city do they do the the thing not where yet. it says the I, gotta lose your mind you know where i'm talking that about they, ha- that, they put the it on first the, times that happens is on greatest kiss 95 well it's on it's on uh, double platinum oh, oh okay but no it's not on this okay one. it's not on this one but uh, all the destroyer tracks are kind of just louder you know well, not really. So this shares a similar problem that Deuce does, and I'm skipping over a song. Uh, but Detroit Rock City and Deuce both have an interesting problem. If you listen to it, there's only one guitar. Uh, I, I'd have to a go back. Specifically on Deuce. I played it for well, Cap earlier. I played yeah. the first what record. What I noticed on Deuce was they put some sort of phase effect on the on, guitar. On the yeah. intro guitar. But by the time the verses kick in, there's only one guitar playing. You only hear a second guitar kick in on the baby if you're feeling right, good. Right, right. They trimmed all of Ace's rhythm tracks. Well, is, only kept it, his is additional it, is rhythm. Is it Ace's rhythm track or is it... Paul's rhythm track. I'm thinking I with the way Aces. with the way everything's because rolling I think with Ace this. Ace is the one that put the little stutter on that leg. Well, so that would have been Ace's rhythm track, I would think. Well, wh- okay, which where's the stutter you're talking about? On, on Deuce, which part of the riff? Sing it, Russ. He did that. Yeah, he has a little stutter. It does. It's not as pronounced in the live versions, which I I don't like the stutter so much. I think I he's know. still playing it, but it, it got just really sounds like they're cu- if they're cutting a guitar, logic would dictate to me it wouldn't be Paul's. That's it. That's where I'm pulling from. But there's a distinct lack of a guitar on both Detroit Rock City, but primarily Deuce. You could really hear it on Deuce, especially anytime they hold a note. Mm-hmm. You can hear on the original studio track two guitars holding a note. This one's very much a clangy single guitar. But that's at least what I noticed. But we do get an extended outro on Deuce. And I that's really him. cool. Yeah, All the guitars are pumped up in that, too, from what I remember. Yeah. I love it loud. Suffers the worst from the drum thing. Because that record, Creatures of the Night, had such a monstrous yeah, a drum, sound. drum sound. So it was like, boom, boom, pow. Well, that was All what, sudden, that was, to ah. me, that was the whole overall arc of the 80s production style. That was... That was at the advent of it. Everybody wanted that huge drum sound. It mm-hmm. never sounded huge to me. It always sounded muddy. It was just so. It, it and I mean, this it. is every everybody's everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Danzig's first record came out, that was such a left field thing because it was so bone dry. Yeah, oh, like I can't cu- tell you how radical that sounded when it came out. Or yeah, cult, the Cult Electric, cult electric both produced by Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. It's so finally the guy that said, "Man, we're enough of this. Enough shit. Of the fucking you reverb know? on every snare." But hit. everything had to sound like fucking docking. 
and, and Duncan sucked. <laughs> and uh, they also cut out the fade out, or the fade back in, rather, from I Love It Loud. And the other interesting thing they did with that, though, is they turned Gene's vocal up and got rid of the effect. It's a lot more of a dry, loud vocal on it. Yeah. I, I You know, I, the only other one I can remember is like uh, Calling Dr. Love. So, hold on one minute before you get to that one. Okay. okay. <laughs> I warned you before we got on here. I had a Eureka what the fuck moment, right, and I'm getting to it right, because that's right. the last note I made was Deuce. Because Lick It Up and Heaven's on Fire, they didn't do anything to it. Right. So, I get to Dr. Love. And let's reverse back to our uh, episode on uh, Rock and Roll Over. When we get to that song, I mention one of my little nerd minutia facts. And I'm like, you know what? When this song kicks in, Peter's very first crash, it almost sounds like a tape wobble. So, like, you've got a cassette tape in your car. It fucks up. You wind it back up, but it doesn't still play right. It still has that little in it the cymbal crash always sounded like it was a punch in and i could never place it i'm listening to this version of calling dr love number one they extended the guitar intro because originally it starts with one guitar then two and then the drums kick in this one starts with two guitars from the top so that shows that they had extra guitars already then they had that weird yeah, yeah, right yeah. before well, that's he sings on the double platinum but it that was is. actually at the front of the you're right it yeah. didn't have the extra guitar lick but guess what when you listen underneath that loud guitar piece guess what's not there a fucking crash symbol the crash is not I'm there down, Alex. it's okay no i will not because as soon as i was listening to that i was listening for the crash i was like i wonder if it's more pronounced on this because of the remix there's not even a crash symbol there so that sent me down this trail of like what the fuck and i started listening you can hear the squeak on the kick drum mm-hmm. you can hear the pedal squeaking right i went back to um Rock and roll over. You don't hear the squeak. I'm going, (laughs) what is going on here? I Google it. That's when I come across this website. They, in passing, mention rock and roll. I mean, um, calling Dr. Love. They mainly talk about rock and roll all night for a very specific reason, but it all ties in. Remember when I wanted to talk about remixes on double platinum? But no, we just had to zoom on by that. No, this is shit that happened all the way back then when everyone was rapidly trying to get these master tapes sent out to Neil Bogart so he can do the remixes for double platinum. They weren't sending final masters. They were sending alternate masters. The Dr. Love that's on there is not the same drum track. It is a different drum track. It got mixed up during that initial master send-off. Interesting. So... Cycle all the way to the end of the record. You've got a really shitty version of Rock and Roll All Night with those drums. But all of a sudden, something else pops out at you. A completely different bass line from Gene. Yeah, no, I was going to ask about that. Yes, that comes from the same thing. The drum tracks... I I pull up the website now. The drum tracks for... um, um, Dress to Kill were recorded at a specific studio, and I'm getting that pulled up here. I should have had the that same ready. thing with the Willie Nelson song yesterday, <laughs> dude. It, okay, yeah, here we go. Well, so, Dress to Kill was recorded at Electric Lady. They recorded two different p- 
pieces though, and that's what I'm trying dress to get. Dress to kill or, or dress to kill? Okay, and not not rock and roll ever. Okay, it said, uh, quoting uh, Axology Extended, it said, See, in early 75, Kiss were in California and ended up in a studio called Libres Sound, and they recorded a number of interesting things. Among them were eventually ended up the drum tracks for, you guessed it, Rock and Roll All Night. Thing is, the version that was recorded in January 75 was way far incomplete and differed from the album version in a number of ways. Apart from a relatively uh, rough vocal track from Gene, one of the main differences is the bass line. In January, Gene still hadn't written the descending figure that would be the bedrock upon the song would rest. Instead, he went to his some of his go-to stylistic moves. So when you compare the two, notes. instead of going down, he's doing he's walking up with the riff. So the track that got sent to the studio had an old bass cut on it. Interesting. So the version on Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits is a completely different take of Rock and Roll All Night than what's on the studio and record. It was, and, and all of this for a shitty fucking remix that wasn't really worth listening yeah. to. That I just thought it sucks. Now, yeah. now <laughs> you have to understand, though, coming from a fan that's listened yeah, to this you, record you, since you, a you kid. You seem really excited about this. It was it is my, cool. It was mind-blowing to me yeah. because it had been sitting under my nose the entire time, and especially with it messing with me with Dr. Love. Right, right. And I'm like, I've never dug into it before. Now realizing the unorganized state of the kiss camp sending around these masters things getting mislabeled and then when they're trying to go back in time to do another remix a song like calling dr love is a remix of a remix yeah and you know it seems like this stuff <laughs> obviously obviously wasn't cataloged in any kind of organized way but you know it's interesting that they wouldn't I guess, you know, in the moment, they're not considering their own legacy. I mean, no one knew when they made Rock and Roll All Night that Rock and Roll All Night would become Rock and Roll All Night. Exactly. You know? But it would still seem like there would be a better organization of your own mm-hmm. stuff. But but no, so so thank you for telling me that I was going to have to really dig into the changes. On the, yeah. Well, we skip over a few of the other, like Shout Out Loud has an extended outro after the wow. It ends with the shout it, mm-hmm. which is, Rock, that was very kind of an 80s pop metal kind of a thing. Rock and Roll All Night also has an extended outro, but I think that also has to do with the different master tape they got sent. I, yeah. It, my whole thing is I just couldn't get past that drum sound. And, I can't and, either. And, it, and it was it's hard. It's interesting because I think the... the uh, the snare sound is the only thing they seem to really have messed with. It's like they try to get this bright, popping, reverb-heavy snare, but everything else sounds flat and dull behind it. Like, yeah, you know, definitely the, all check the toms out. and everything. It's like, I don't If we know. have any music producer listeners and fans of the show, definitely go to that website. He goes into the minutia of how they got the sound from pre-recorded drums already. Yeah, it's, yeah. For, for me, it was fascinating. I'll just save our listeners what was, that. What was the website? Say it one more time for people. I uh, get that pulled up one more time. AxologyExtended.wordpress.com, and the title of the um, uh, article was "Get Up and Get Out of Get Your Remix Out of Here." All <laughs> right. Are we uh, gonna gloss over the uh, the debut of Eric Carr on vocals on a Kiss record? I intentionally held that one to the side because I didn't really consider that Who a let, remix. You know what? Okay. Whose idea was that, and why? Yeah, nope. We don't really find. I haven't found anything on it. Like, nope. There's no nothing in the Wikipedia's because or like from a, all according to the established narrative uh, Eric didn't want to do it 
Okay. I believe that. Um, I don't see why they would do it. I, you know, it, it would seem like, I guess they didn't want to overlook, you know, if they're doing a quote unquote greatest hits, there's only a handful of songs that were hits. Yeah. And two of them were Peter Chris songs, Hard Luck Woman and Beth. Um, I guess they didn't want to overlook that. And I guess they didn't want to give Peter any kind of no performance rights or anything. anything. Well, this is purely speculation. And to kind of work off what Cap just said about performance rights, I kind of feel that some of the older songs like Strutter and Deuce are missing a guitar. If that guitar that's missing is Ace, that may lend <laughs> into trying to remove them from getting so many publishing yeah, and royalty I, rights. It, maybe. Again, that's a good, completely that's a conjecture. Yeah, complete conjecture. There's probably people that would know that. I can't say that. But, 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 that's, the, but the thing on Beth sense. that's also interesting is... And they also did this with Love Gun. I forgot to mention this. Love Gun is sped up a little bit because since they were doing a little bit of the uh, drum machine reworks and remastering, they actually ticked it up a little bit so it would be an exact BPM because it wasn't an exact BPM Isn't before. Is that what they call quantifying? Yeah, so, so they <laughs> quantize it. Quantize, quantize yeah. whatever. Okay, quantize. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But Beth also doesn't sync up. Like if you like uh-huh. if you sync up the very beginning, like note beat for beat, uh, Beth. By the end of it, I think the Eric Carwin lasts like two seconds longer. Like it falls out of sync somewhere. Yeah, poor Eric, man. So yeah, let, let's kind of discuss on that. So we've already kind of said that Eric was already feeling a little bit disenchanted with the whole kiss thing like he and paul aren't getting along too well yeah, he's he still feels like the, second fiddle he's doing the he's a hired gun they say that at some point during the crazy nice tour him and paul stop speaking entirely and paul sort of kind of glosses it over i mean he mentions it in his memoirs but i don't understand there's got to be some reason mm-hmm. and i feel like that if paul's glossing it over it may well be something that paul did that he's aware that he did it but he's not going to cop to it because and, and i think what also leads to that and we can circle back around to this it just connects to it uh there's that story that both paul and gene have said which was uh when paul went out on a solo tour gene and eric came out to a show and Eric went to the back and immediately pointed to Eric Singer, who right. was part well, of Paul's well, band. Well, I know I'm ahead. jumping ahead, but this, to me, connects to Okay, it. well, let's We're, talk about this for a okay. minute. Paul, to get to the point, in early 1989, uh, instead of doing any kind of support, Kiss doing any support for Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits, uh, they seem to kind of be very fractured here off doing other things. Paul embarks on a solo club tour and it's it's nearly 30 dates spread across i think it was march was it february march or march and april i can't remember but it's late winter right um most of them are in the northeast with a handful of california dates yeah um the band includes bob kulik Mm mm-hmm uh, Dennis St. James on bass and Eric Singer the, the other is Eric the drummer. drummer. Yep. Who, of course, we know is going to be the future Kiss drummer. And someone else called it because, yeah, uh, he showed up to one of those shows and, and pointed right be, at yeah. Eric and said, you're going to replace me in Kiss. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, both, both uh, that's like what Gene and Paul have both said. They were like, you're going to replace me one day in Kiss. Well, and before Paul was, we get to that, mm-hmm. which I don't want to do in this episode, um, let's just talk about the idea that Paul's even doing a solo tour. 
Because this seems like a power play of some sort. Oh, absolutely. Because he's seen Kiss for the last few years as the Paul Stanley band. It, but and he's tired like, of carrying, the, he, to quote or to paraphrase him, he's tired of pulling the weight and Gene reaping the benefits. And it seems like to me, though, he's trying to establish his autonomy outside of the band at this point. That, that, that statement, there's a lot to unpack right there. Because if he's, if he, obviously he feels like he's moving in that direction. Is he, you know, if Kiss isn't springboarding off of this greatest hits package, the tour, Paul definitely is. And like you just said earlier, Paul is selling himself as the front man. He's Mm -hmm. selling this as the concept of him. Yep. He's using, I think that there was a very conscious idea, and we've talked about this, you know, all through the 80s, that they're trying to look for like escape routes. Yeah. You know, Kiss isn't supposed to exist at this point. And the only reason why they do is because of what we talked about with all these lawsuits, the the loss of you know, the loss of income, the tax shelter evaporating, they're having to scramble for cash, you know, they're looking for ways out. Yeah. You have to with Acting all of gigs, that going on. Producing gigs, management gigs, solo gigs. Mm-hmm. And hey, Paul's out doing a club tour. You know, trying to establish himself as a solo act. And I mean, it kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, the way he was phrasing it is he was doing it like just to get out and just stretch to get his out wings. Bullshit. <laughs> Everything is a calculated move with these guys. Everything. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that the, the whole idea here is just to establish his own autonomy away from Kiss should it all go belly up. Yeah. You know. They're they they're essentially rudderless right now. They have no manager outside of Jesse Hilson, <clears throat> Doctor Jesse Hilson. Yeah, <laughs> but he but he signed Who, a non compete and he would no longer be Paul's therapist. Well, great, wonderful. <laughs> He's still, you know, I mean, very closely aligned with Paul and yeah. probably involved in his day to day decision making. But but what I was trying to my my point being with the whole Eric Carr thing is so. He's already not getting along with Paul. Yeah. He, he runs into that scenario, and then they're also going, and by the way, you need to sing Beth. And he's already already been like, I don't feel like doing it. And Peter even said he like he called me and like yeah. asked for blessing, yeah. you know, and I was like, Yeah, you can do it. You know, I don't know why they're wanting to, but yeah. you can do it. He didn't like it, which no. I don't blame him. I wouldn't like it either. So it's like when people discuss, you know, oh, you know, Eric Carr was probably on his way out anyway. You know what? He may have. Because it really feels like they're really treating the guy wrong. Well, they all might have. That's my point. It's like the band's very fractured and splintered right now. And they're really not, again, they're not a band. They're a duo. Yeah. It's Gene and Paul with two hired guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still a duo. It has been a duo ever since then. It is a duo today. I don't care if you give the other guys the identity of the original guys. It's irrelevant to the issue. They're still hired guys. And I you think know, it's also if saying If either one of those guys dropped out, they would find someone else to slap that makeup on and keep going. And I think. <laughs> I think it's also telling if Bruce is doing producing work. Yeah, well, Bruce people. is. A, I mean, that's that. That I don't think he ever saw Kiss extending beyond a few years anyway. Yeah, he was always a working guy. He was guy a working guy Kiss anyway. Too. I don't think he saw that as a band situation. I no. think he always had a realistic idea to his approach to it. So <laughs> he's talked about it in hindsight, and it's the, so unfortunate because he didn't feel like he was an actual member of the band until Revenge. And I was like, oh, poor guy. <laughs> right at the end. <laughs> well, and, and here's the irony of where we're going to leave this at is Paul's 
seeking to establish himself as a solo performer on some level. Yeah. Everyone's kind of off doing their own thing. Eric is paranoid as fuck that he's losing his gig. Mm-hmm. He, I don't think he is. I think it's just coincidence that it worked out exactly like that. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think it was by design. Certainly not at this point. No. Uh, and ironically, the only thing that keeps Kiss relevant in any way, shape, or form is what? All their makeup era stuff. It keeps hearkening back to that. The exposed video. The smashes, dashes, and hits being primarily that era. Um, you know, this is... So and it's like there's there's is- a great disconnect between 70s Kiss and 80s Kiss beyond me just making the joke about the logo, you know, or the name. Or yeah, lowercase. Lower lowercase. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just this thing is pretty much... It's they're flogging the dead horse. Yeah. You know? And even though they poke at it with a music video coming up, it's also a set list where they pull out a yeah. couple more oldies. Some big changes are going to have to be made. The big changes are coming. Uh, and we will talk about that on the next episode of No Time to Turn. So hopefully all of you guys will join us and uh, we will see you then. Usually it's next time, but we'll say then. We'll see you next time <laughs> on No Time to Turn. Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.